every time you meet your lower self, you just got to go, oh, I got, I got to meet my lower self today. That's amazing. And that's the basis for learning your higher self. And every time you meet your higher self, it's like, oh, I got to meet my higher self today. That's amazing. And every step of the way, you're just meeting the two dualities that you have within you. And temptation is one of the best compasses for that. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth. Y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you got to get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state. We scraped the plate. I put my eggs in the basket. Took a leap of faith. I took a chance. Now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests. Now let's bring Matt. Hey everyone, welcome on in to episode number 273 of the Decoding Success Podcast with your host Matt Labrie. Grateful to have you joining us today as you're entering an episode that absolutely encapsulates numerous levels, levels of which might be best summed up as mind, body, and soul with an incredibly deep individual, an individual whom you just heard from and will be introduced shortly. Now as we explore those depths of mind, body, and soul today, More specifically, I want to bring you up to speed into a few of the meaningful aspects of this conversation. Now, we're going to be talking about exploring where our lower self shows up in our life, why suffering is the best teacher, and how to accept that, how to avoid temptation when it's looking you right in the eyes as we level up in our lives, how our soul chooses what it needs in this lifetime, and so much more. Now, joining us today, as mentioned, a truly incredible individual with depth, with achievements galore, with a past that has led him to where he is today, our friend Ryan Blair, number one New York Times bestselling author and serial entrepreneur, Ryan went from a gang member to a businessman with over two billion dollars in company sales. After decades of building successful companies, Ryan began his latest company, Alter Call, which uplifts and helps entrepreneurs scale their companies using spiritual modalities. He has a previous exit, which equates to north of $790 million. His book, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, has inspired millions around the world to invest in themselves, and that is exactly what you are doing here today. So on that note, I want to give you your kudos, your flowers, like I always do at the beginning of every episode, for you showing up for yourself, because you could be doing anything else in the world, but you are here, you're tuned in to Ryan and I on Decoding Success, and without further ado, let's dive right in. Ryan, I'm pumped for this, my man. I am super excited for this. Thank you so much for joining us here on Decoding Success. Truly grateful for this. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Matt. I appreciate it, and I'm happy to share with you anything that I know. Let's do this. First question, how are you? What's going on in the life of Ryan? How am I? I'm, you know, I'm really good. I uh, This year, I started dance, and every year, I, I pick a new category that I want to, you know, like a new hobby. And I started dance this year, and in prior years, you know, I did yoga, I've done boxing, singing, and now I'm adding dancing. And I don't know, maybe next year, I'll combine all of them together in some sort of a new art <laughs> form, but... Right now, I'm doing hip-hop dance. I'm, I'm actually having a lot of fun. I feel like I'm a kid again. I was just going to ask you what kind of dance you're pursuing because I'm going to be honest with you. I need some WD-40 in the hips. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to do it, but I, I'm not going to lie. There's some resistance. I'm, I'm curious, was there any resistance for you to not look like a beginner or something of that nature? Yeah, you know, there is. Like, I really suck at it. And my lower self will have these conversations. Like, I have a dance instructor who's really good. My lower self will say, you're never going to be good at this. You can't even put two feet in front of each other. You're off. You're off rhythm. This is never going to work. And then there's a part of me that just says, you know, I'm, I got to 
get through the first couple of months of this and then I'll start to have fun with it. With boxing, it was the same thing with singing. It was even worse where singing, you don't get good, not in the form that I study for many, many years. So you have to be prepared to suck at something for years until you become good at it. And so I, I break off those challenges to humble myself, to learn something new. And, you know, and then it's just so much joy when you actually can put a couple skills together. Like you start with having zero skill and then you put two skills together and you're like, this is working. And then you know, over time you put three or four. And then mastery is just simply the artful combination of multiple skills. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you start to have fun, real, a lot of fun with it. But at first it sucks and you want to talk yourself out of it every step of the way. So what's your advice for the people that are tuned into this right now that want to be experts out of the gate because everything is on social media, everything is being recorded. I mean, taking that first step, you know, you could talk yourself out of it so quickly. What's your advice for the people that aren't starting because of that? Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll share with you that I, you know, I have a friend who's a TV presenter, a famous one, and I would suck at being on camera. And, you know, I would tell him like, how do you do it? And he's like, a lot of repetition, a lot of practice. And I thought to myself, well, I'll never be in front of a camera 5,000 times. Like this person lives in front of a camera on TV. And so then it dawned on me that, you know, that maybe I'll never be good at camera. But then I realized that in order to be effective in communication, especially now with, you know, social media and Zoom, you got to get good in front of a camera. Like that's just a required skill now, more so than ever. And so I scheduled 400 daily meditations in a row. And I woke up every morning and I walked in front of a Zoom of an audience of starting at like 20 people. And then it grew to like four or 500 people until I got good talking to a camera. Anything you're bad at, you got to get the thousand shots in. And now I'm comfortable in front of a camera. The benefits are amazing. And that, you know, shooting a two minute video no longer takes hours of agony and frustration. I can have fun and do it pretty quick. I'm not great, you know, but I'm learning to get better each time that I, I show up and I'm far better than I was by all means. So, you know, anything that you suck at as an entrepreneur, if you're not good at sales, you got to get your thousand shots in. If you're having trouble raising money, you got to talk to a thousand investors. If you're not calling in the right resources, and write candidates, you got to talk to hundreds of candidates. You don't just you know put an ad up there, talk to one person, and then, well, the candidate didn't show up. It's like, no, you got to talk to hundreds of people to get good at it. So that way you get to a place where your competency is such that you're able to attract the investors, the talent, and the customers that you need. And the way that you get there is you know, you got you to gotta suck at something and you got to be willing to suck at it for quite some time. Absolutely. You bring about this question in my mind. I'm really curious to hear what your response is going to be to this. You say that being on video is necessary necessary in today's day and age, which I agree with. I'm curious, what are your top five life skills that are required? Without giving any more context, I'll leave it at that. One, One is radical responsibility. Okay. Meaning I see everything as I caused this. Our culture is victim-based. And so everyone wants to be a victim. And I'll give you a simple example. You know, people say, oh, I was late because of the traffic. It's like, no, you were late because you failed to plan for traffic. You know, there's an app where you can, you know, look at how long it's going to take you to get to a destination and it factors in traffic, right? So you're late, not because of the traffic, but because you failed to plan. And so radical responsibility, radical honesty, you know, we're always lying. Everybody's lying about something. And we 
lie to ourselves all the time. Oh, I did my best today. I gave 120%. It's like, no, you didn't. There's no such thing as giving 120%. If anything, you maybe gave 20% of you know who you are today and you know put it on the floor. So radical responsibility, radical honesty, radical self-reliance. You know, you have to be able to be self-supervised, look yourself in the mirror, overcome being tired, you're being cranky, having challenges. You know, you have to have very strong self-reliance. And those are mindset skills that are required. And then on more of the hard skills, you know, negotiation, communication, leadership, and then go even deeper into some hard skills. I know I'm above five right now, but you got a most important skill to run a large company is recruiting. You have to be able to recruit great, talented people. And by recruiting, I mean, you have to be able to find great, talented people that believe in your vision and that want to come work in your company. And if you master recruiting, you can master everything else that I've just described because you can hire people people and recruit people that fill the gaps where you don't have uh, strengths. So let's break this down. Let's start with radical responsibility. And I'm going to ask you this question that I didn't have a chance to ask. Gary John Bishop was on the show and he had the very same sentiment. He mentioned radical responsibility in the context of being so the example was more so along the lines of growing up in your childhood and you know you didn't receive what you needed from your parents. Mm-hmm. My question to that is, how do you take radical responsibility for something when you didn't even know what was taking place in the first place? Yeah, you know, I I use a spiritual framework on this one and it's a, a belief that I adopted because it's just the best belief that you can approach is that my soul needed this medicine. Mm. So there's something in there that my soul needed. You know, I didn't ask, you know, to have abusive parents, but I had them. My soul needed that to become the father that I am here today. So I look at everything and I look at every challenge that I have faced as an opportunity to grow character and competency and strength. And so even the things that happened that I didn't plan on and didn't, you know, have a say so in, I extract the best things for them and say, you know, and spiritually, I believe I chose my parents. And so of course, I I wanted parents that were going to teach me the opposite of what I was needing to learn because that was the lesson plan that I needed in order for me to become the leader and the father that I am here today. So, you know, that's a spiritual way that I look at it. And it's just a belief that I've adopted because it enforces the most amount of radical responsibility in every decision that you make is like, there's a reason why I've called in this situation. There's a reason why I'm stuck in traffic. There's a reason why, you know, dealing with the recession right now. Uh, there's a reason why rates have gone up and it's impacted my industry, right? There's there's a reason for that. What am I supposed to learn from that? How is that supposed to strengthen me and make me more competent, make me more confident and, and develop my character? And when you have that attitude, every challenge that comes your way is a gift. How do you build that muscle? That's a muscle. That's, you know, that's not easy. Each time you hear yourself complaining and, you know, having every time you have negative language, the framework that I use for this, uh, I got from the Dalai Lama. And not that I know him, sound like I was name dropping, but I read one of his books, just to be clear here. It's like, yeah, my buddy, the Dalai Lama, you might have heard of him. I just got it from one of his books. He says that every negative thought that you have, the antidote is a positive thought. And so every time I have a negative thought about something, I just reframe it. That's the antidote. It's like, I got a hard day today. It's like, what about hard? You know, the work that you do is not hard. But like, if I tell myself that, then it is going to be a hard day. And then it does feel like hard work. But if I tell myself this is easy work, then it's easy work, right? So I reframe the negative thought with the positive thought. And that's the antidote. You know, I replace it. But the cure is to evaluate the underlining limiting belief or the misconception. Like the misconception is this is work. Like this is not work, right? But if I, if I, oh, it's going to be a lot of work. I got to do a one hour interview. It's like, wait, this is not work. You know, so I have to 
to evaluate why would I think doing a one hour interview via Zoom in my living room is work when I know work is, you know, digging a hole all day long, right? Mm -hmm. So the cure for the negative thought is to evaluate the misconception or the limiting belief and come up with a new limiting belief or realize that you're buying into a lie and you know realize what the truth is of the matter. I love this. Now you mentioned radical honesty. Why do we lie in general? I'm not even going to say why do we lie to ourselves. That one might be a little bit more obvious. I'm curious, why do we lie? Well, because we were punished as children if we didn't please our parents. So if I went to my parents and said, they said, how was your day today? And I said, you know, I called so-and-so a name. I didn't pay attention at all in school. I think school is a complete waste of time. And I think that you don't know what you're talking about. Like, what do you think my parents would have said? My parents would have whipped me. <laughs> my parents did whip me with the belt. Yeah. I would have been really whipped if I had told them how I was really feeling. And most people have to lie to their parents because parents will withhold love and they'll imprison you if you don't do what they tell you to. By imprisoning, I mean ground you, right? Like send you to prison, basically. And so we learn to try to please our parents. The easiest way is just lie. And we build an entire identity that's a lie. We build an entire way of life that's a lie because we don't want to be imprisoned or whipped or or we don't want love withheld from us. And so as parents, we basically teach our children how to become professional liars to make us happy. And then that person goes on to be a professional liar. And as society, we do the same thing with this whole moral you know, crap that we're led to believe in. And so we just basically create liars all day long, culturally and through parenting. And, you know, and we all know many of the lies that we believe in. It's like, oh, well, I got to go to school to get good grades, to get a degree, to one day be happy. And then a guy like me that drops out of high school, you know, learns how to make hundreds of millions of dollars. And you are like, I hate that guy because he broke the rules. You know, I followed the rules and I'm not happy and he broke the rules and he's happy. And that's the culture that we live in right now is that, you know, there's there's a lot of lies that people have bought into and believe in. And, you know, if you're buying into a lie and believing a lie, you're going to perpetuate that lie. So those are some of the foundational things. But, you know, we do it all the time. We also do it because we want to be polite. You know, when somebody says, you know, how's your day? I don't feel like explaining to them that, you know, I stepped in dog crap this morning and I was late to get my son to school and I was late for an appointment. It's like, I'm just like, everything is great. Thank you for asking. But, you know, everything might not be great. I just don't feel like explaining to them how things are really going. And so I tell a little lie and say everything's just fine. Now, when it comes to ourselves and the lies that are stacked upon us, how do we strip them away and get down to our core self? Well, anytime your intentions and your actions don't match, there's a lie being told. You know, if my intention is to honor people and respect people and but my actions are, you know, I'm in conflict all the time and I have drama in my life, then what lies are going on? You know, what what lies am I telling myself? A lot of young entrepreneurs that I mentor, you know, they'll come up with like they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm great at execution. And my job as a mentor is be like, you are not great at execution. You know, you're believing in a total lie right now because I've seen greatness in execution. That'd be like, you know, I use this analogy. I mean, like, that'd be like you telling, you know, Shaquille O'Neal or Michael Jordan that you're great at basketball. Like I've seen great execution. I've played in, on teams that are great at executing. And for you to tell me you're great at executing, that'd be like me telling Michael Jordan I'm great at basketball. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, you've, you've bumped your head here. But when our perception and our reality don't match, right, there's a lie that we're believing in. And the antidote for that is, you know, humility and listening to what comes out of your mouth and then asking yourself, is that really truthful? How much does the ego come into play there? Because I'm thinking about it. I mean, I'm definitely someone that does that, right? Yeah. You know, in numerous capacities. And the first thing that's coming up for me as I listen to you is 
It's your ego. It's you not wanting to look less than to other people. It's yeah. it's a lot of that. I'm curious if you can rant on that a little bit. Yeah, you know, ego is something that is at play at all times with all of us. And there's an element of it that's very good and that there's a part of me that believes I could change the world. And there's nine, you know, eight billion people or whatever in the world. And like, who the hell are you to think that you could change the world, right? Like, you know, you got to be a little egotistical and a little crazy to actually believe that. So there's an element of it that's, that's very good, but where it's, you know, counterproductive is when, you know, you're not willing to humbly look at what it's really going to take, not willing to get advice along the way not willing to seek out mentorship, not willing to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I'm not doing what's necessary for me to make the impact and legacy that I'm seeking to make. And so the ego is something that has to be constantly checked and it's going to constantly grow and get out of balance and it's got to be constantly checked. And the more self-aware you are, the more you'll see your ego at play. And if you surround yourself with good people, they'll you know, they'll call you forward and say, sounds like a little ego there. And when that happens, you know, you make the adjustments and, you know, you you eventually will cultivate an ego into a polished gem. As opposed to it being this chaotic, nightmarish thing, it'll become something very polished where you'll know it, you'll be able to direct it, you'll be above it, but it will still be there and it will still have a, you know, a mind of its own. You'll just get above it so that way you can kind of direct it and control it as best as possible. I'm feeling really compelled to ask you this question. I have it here written down. I access maybe twice on the show before. I'm curious to learn how would my life or anyone that's listening to this, how would their life be different if we knew what you know? Well, you wouldn't have to worry about money. Okay. You wouldn't have to worry about that. You wouldn't be attached to money either. So you wouldn't be, you know, the ego likes to attach to materialism and money. And I've been there, but because I've gone through a lot with that, you know, I'm now at a place where, you know, I've, I've worked through those lessons. You know, you'd have great relationships with your parents and your team and you'd have great relationships with everybody in your life that you care about. And you'd treat everyone as sacred and you'd treat life as sacred if you knew what I knew. Those would be the primary lessons. But the most important one I would tell you would be for those people that have children is like you'd have just a a wonderful relationship with your children. I love this. Let's break these down. Not being attached to money. What were the lessons for you? Well, I I was in a a place where, you know, I, I made a lot of money very early on in my career and I didn't attach to it. I was like, who cares? You know, who cares about a million dollars? Who cares about $5 million, $10 million? I don't care. Now there's a double-edged sword there and that, you know, it's easy to just blow it because you don't care so much about it. Mm. I've learned that that's a sabotaging act, right? But on the way to making millions of dollars, I didn't attach to the fact that I was making 100,000 a year. I didn't attach to the fact that I was making 500 grand a year or a million a year. I attached to the fact that I could make, you know, 10 million a year, 100 million a year. And each time I you know, achieve those milestones, I just raised the bar. So I didn't have this negative or positive attachment to it. It was like, this is just a part of, you know, who I am as an entrepreneur. And of course, I'm going to create a lot of wealth and abundance. So it sounds like you focused on the potential versus the outcome of what you were putting forth effort-wise. Yeah, because as an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm an equity-minded person, which means I have to believe in the invisible, right? You know, I have to believe a piece of paper will one day be worth a billion dollars. And the rational individual would say that piece of paper is worth zero right now. And the odds of that piece of paper ever being worth a billion dollars are a billion to one. Good luck with that. And they'd rather go take $100,000 your salary and have a job than, you know, put it all in the field and try to make a billion dollars. Yeah, no, I get that. I love this. In regards to viewing life as sacred, now 
I mean, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I used to get smacked anytime I would spit on the ground. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of like this was being instilled in me. And I come from a Roman Catholic background, but I'm curious, like when life is hard, it's not easy to view it as sacred. When we hear things like life should be easy and it should be free flowing and this, that, and the other, how do you start to switch into that mindset? Well, I I view suffering as the best teacher of them all. So I'm like, thank you, Professor Suffering. I needed you today. I didn't know I needed you, but I guess I did because you're here and I got to deal with you right now. And and so I want to learn as fast as I can because if you don't learn the lesson, it will repeat itself. And life is hard if you're constantly repeating the same lessons. You know, it's no fun if you, you know, if you got to just keep going through the same lesson with relationships, the same lesson with money. If you got to keep, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. You're just going through the same lesson. It's not fun. And spiritually, lessons will repeat themselves until you extract what you were supposed to learn from it. And so my mindset is suffering's here. What am I supposed to learn? I write up a list of everything I'm supposed to learn from it. I try to bank those lessons as quickly as possible so I can move on to new lessons. Hey guys, taking a quick pause here to share this. As we transition through an episode with such depth, talking about suffering, operating from our lower self, and so much more, those seasons of life, whether we find ourselves in them today or as we're transitioning out of them, they can truly take a toll on us. And from personal experience, I can tell you one area they've impacted me the most was my sleep. Heck, just a week ago, I had a few rough patches where I found myself tossing and turning, essentially praying that the next night I would end up with some optimal sleep. Well, my prayers were answered. A few weeks back, our show partnered with Proper Sleep. Proper prides itself on having sleep down to a science. Proper is a PhD-designed formula that has been clinically studied to improve sleep. Now, truth be told, sleep isn't one-size-fits-all. So, on that note, what works for me or what my intention is might not be yours. To that point, Proper has four formulas to help you target your sleep goals with deliberate intention. Those four formulas, core, restore, calm, and clarity, to help you get better sleep night after night to help you reset your natural sleep cycle, to help you reduce everyday stress, and to help improve cognitive performance and concentration. There's no magic, no tricks. They're thoughtfully designed, backed by science, and grounded in behavior change. It's time for you to get proper sleep today and start your tomorrow off on the right foot. Go to getproper.com and take advantage of their 50% first order offer. That's getproper.com for 50% off your first first order to make your life easier. We put the link in the show notes of this episode. Now back to the show. They're hopefully, you know, more enjoyable and more, you know, more fun and more blissful in, in their nature. But when the suffering lessons come, which they do as an entrepreneur every day, there's something I got to suffer through. You know, I don't like it, but it's part of what I have to do. Right. Was there a particular experience in your life where you started to view life as sacred? Yes. Losing my mother when she transitioned, it was the beginning of an awakening in me that, you know, I, I would have given every, well, I guess to give you a step back. So my mom was in a coma for two years and she was severely handicapped for many years. And during that time, it was really hard for me to go see her because I was in pain every time I saw her, invoked fear that she was going to be the last time I'd see her. And I'd see her, but I, you know, it was tough for me to be fully there with her. And then I'd travel and and you know, go make money and try to distract myself with you know substances and you know the wrong lifestyle choices. And then I go see her and I'd be in pain. And so I was kind of stuck for seven years. And when she transitioned, I realized that I'd been doing life all wrong and that I would give any any of those experiences back and any of the money making activities back and anything back to 
you know, to have some more time with her. And so that's when I started to realize that life was sacred. Now that's what you're crediting the shifts in your life to. That was the first one where it was just like, all right, life's turning around from here. Yeah. Well, that was when I started to, you know, I was raised spiritual and I had spiritual beliefs. And in my books, I even talk about God and my relationship, but it was all very theoretical until that point. And now it was very practical. And, you know, I could sense my mother's presence after she transitioned and I could feel a connection to her that I'd heard that, you know, there was a life after death, but I'd never had an experience with something so deeply connected to me transitioning. You know, I had so much love and connection with her that when she transitioned, I could feel it in my soul where I didn't ever really have that feeling, even though I'd read the Bible or I'd attend Sunday school or, you know, I never really understood it experientially until then. If your mom was the one sitting across from you right now, what would you say to her? She is sitting across from me right now. Mm. (laughs) I guess that's the truth is when a person transitions and they're in a new, the higher realm, you can have connection to them. And the relationship is a new relationship. And so you don't really lose anything. You gain something. Yes, you know, if she was sitting across from me, I wouldn't tell her anything. I'd just hug her. And I would, you know, feel her body once again. But my relationship is such now that I could tell her anything and I can sense communion with her. I love this. How do you, or what's your advice for someone to be able to tap into that, right? If they are going through the grieving process, whether even if it's a dog, I mean, I, I was hysterical crying the other day by myself. I have a two-year-old puppy and I, I was just thinking about life without him. And yeah. you know, I was, you know it, it's so tough. So I'm curious, what's your advice for someone that might be going through the grieving process right now for them to connect and feel the presence of the individual, the, the pet or whomever that made that transition? Process that I use, I've helped people that have lost loved ones make a connection with their loved ones. And I've brought families into my house and I've taught them this process. So not only has it worked for me, but you know, it, it's, I've, I've helped others with it and it's forgiveness. And what I teach people to do is first they get out pictures of their loved one and they think about all the good times and they, all the times that they laugh with my mom and I, we used to play hide and seek and she'd scare the, you know, what out of me. And I'd just like drop to the floor and I'd scare her. And we just had this playful relationship. So I first go into that and really make that connection through love and joy and playfulness and then, and innocence for that matter. And then from there, I offer up everything that I need to be forgiven for. So I was not the perfect son. One time I broke my mother's china. Multiple times I broke things. And many times I hid the fact or I didn't come clean with it or, you know, denied responsibility. And so I just say, here's all the things that I can think of that I need to be forgiven for. And it's a long list because none of us are perfect, right? And even some of us, you know, I, I may not have honored her the way I could have. I may have said mean things to her. I may have lied to her. I may not have honored myself. And, you know, and I may have some uh, guilt and some shame in my heart that I offer up in this forgiveness. And then the final stage is I then tell her or him or whoever it is what I need to forgive them for. And that might be a long list as well. Like that time you did this, the time that, you know, if it's a case of your puppy, the time you pooped and I stepped in the poop, I forgive you for it, right? (laughs) Whatever it is, right? We often, when a person transitions, we fail to realize all the things that we're holding on to. And this process of forgiveness that I've just shared is a process of letting go. And when you let go of those things, then you clear the energy between you so that you can actually make a connection. But if I'm holding on really tight to things that I need to be forgiven for, things I need to forgive for, I'm not able to actually experience the connection necessary to have a relationship beyond this life. 
Do you feel like you needed to go through that process before you could be the best parent that you could possibly be? Oh, yeah. So my spiritual belief is that I picked a mom who would fall down a flight of stairs after getting drunk and be in a coma for two years. That I would pray day in and day out to try to get her to wake up, and she would. So I would, I would learn the power of God. And then I would be in fear and trepidation that she would die every day for the next four years. So that way I would learn the power of God and that she would pass away and I would have a lot of regret so that I would learn to treat life as sacred. I could, so spiritually, I see the divinity in it. Where other people would see like I was a victim, you know, my mom was in a coma for two years. She was severely handicapped. You know, all the trauma that I experienced has been transmuted into a blessing based on that belief system that I have. Now, when it comes to your great relationship with children, I'm just very curious, you know, that you said that was the number one point that someone would, if they knew what you knew, that would be the number one point. Talk to me more about that. I'm not a parent, so I come here as a total student. Yeah, yeah I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, to share this with you and plant some seeds for when you are a parent. You know, the job of our using that spiritual framework that I shared with you, that every soul has come here, you know, he picked me. And so as flawed as I am, he picked a flawed parent so that he could learn what not to do and what to do to be able to be the most successful that he can be at whatever his soul came here to do. And so by having that mindset, I release, you know, my desire for him to, you know, be a pro athlete or my desire for him to go to the same college that I went to or my desire for him to make a lot of money or whatever it is. I release that. It's like, you came here to learn from me so that you could figure out what your individual calling is and that you could perform in that calling. And my job is just to simply help you identify that calling, to seek your forgiveness when I fail, to give you the wisdom that I have and transfer the love that I have so that you can you know, fulfill your purpose that is unique and individual to that of mine. And I'm just simply you know, the individual you get to leverage to make this happen. And a lot of parents that I know that have means, they do the exact opposite. They want their child to be like them, to go to the schools that make them proud, to hang around the kids that satisfy them, to go to Harvard so they can brag about my kid going to Harvard, to get a, you know, go into law school so they could brag about my kid getting into the top law school. And it's all about them and what they want, not about what their children want and what their children are here to do and what's going to make their children the most fulfilled and the most happy. And so how so do that's really- my... Yeah. yeah. How, how do you release your own personal desires, right? I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is that I want a son. I mean, yeah, I, w- I would love that, you know, for for bonding and whatnot. But, you know, I have to be grateful for a daughter too. So I'm curious, like, how do you release your own desires and not project them onto the children? I only have a son right now and I would love a daughter. I'm not married. I don't have a person in my life. So I hope that does that prayer gets answered. But if you think about love as a curriculum, okay, it's just a curriculum. And in that curriculum, we have, you know, love of our pets. We have love of ourself. We have love of our plants. We have love of the earth. We have love of animals. There's all kinds of elements to the curriculum of love. And one of those is, you know, the love of a parent, the love of a father and a son, the love of a father and a daughter, and, and you know, and the love of grandchildren. And there's a vast array of, of lessons for us to truly master the curriculum of love. And one of which would be, you know, if, if God blesses you or me with a daughter, would be to learn how to love a young lady and learn how to love, you know, a woman into becoming a, you know, a wonderful woman uh, as a daughter. And, you know, and so I just look at it that way. It's like, boy, would that be exciting for me to learn how to love, you know, a daughter and, and experience the elements of love that would offer. I love that right. so much. 
And, you know, and it's the same for like a, a dog. Like I know more about love because I love my dog so much. And she's getting a little older. And I, so I understand what you were sharing earlier about how, you know, there is like, there's a sadness to know that this isn't going to last forever. And, and so, but that teaches me more about love. Absolutely. What's a question you wish more people would ask you? What's a question? I, you know, I get a lot of great questions, but yeah, you know, I, I really don't, I don't have one. I, I get a lot of great questions and, you know, I, I guess the answer would be, what should I do next? Each of us has a next lesson that's in front of us. And if we learn that lesson and we complete the tasks associated with that lesson, we can move on to a better lesson. And so a lot of people that I mentor, it's like, you know, what about, what's the meaning of life? What's this? What's that? What about growing and scaling a billion dollar business? How do I hire blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all that's nonsense if you're not actually, you know, uh, making progress toward learning the lesson right in front of you. And each of us is all on the same page and the same path and that we all have a lesson in front of us that we have to learn. No one is separate. Like we all have a lesson. Our, my lesson might be different than you, but I've got to learn a lesson that's right in front of me. And when you learn that lesson, you step up to new levels of mastery in your life and new levels of joy and fulfillment. And so we all just should focus on the lesson right in front of us, learn that lesson and move on to a better lesson. It leads me to ask you, are lessons, how do I frame this? What I'm trying to get at here is how do we identify a lesson? Now, what I'm trying to ask is, is a lesson disguised as difficulty or are there lessons in ease as well? Yeah. Sometimes a task, like, so for example, a lesson that I recently learned and sought to master was to learn to dance with challenges. That's part of the reason why I'm doing dance class, because I wanted to learn the biological aspects of the lesson as well as the mental aspects of the lesson, right? And it's a challenge for me to learn hip hop. And so I'm learning to dance with challenges in a very linear, very, you know, experiential, you know, way. And that's the biological aspects of it. But then the behavioral aspects of it, you know, when I have conflict in my team, I want to dance with that challenge and not be like, why did I wake up to this? Or why, you know what I mean? Or like, why are they arguing? It's like, let's dance. Let's go. Let's figure this out. You know, let's, let's dance. So, you know, that was the lesson. And the way the lesson you know, first came to me, you know, by way of a mentor of mine that I needed to learn to dance with challenges. And then I started contemplating on it and then challenges started showing up and, and I resisted. And I was like, this sucks. I don't like this. Why did I, I didn't sign up for this. And then more challenges came, more challenges came. And then finally I was like, I'm going to dance with this. And then now I just, every time a challenge shows up, I said, let's dance. Right. And I'm fully now experiencing and embodying the lesson after I, intellectually, you know, received it. The way you know it's a lesson in front of you is because you're going to get a piece of wisdom that strikes your soul that might come by way of this podcast. It might come by way of a book, a YouTube video, like the universe is trying to speak to you. And it might be that a friend recommends a book and then another friend recommends a book and like there's a lesson in there for you, but you're resisting or you're not making the connection. And so you're going to go try to read another book when three people have told you you need to read this book, right? So once you really get your head around, okay, there's something in there. I have to learn, you know, whatever this is here to teach me. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to try to extract the gold from it. And then when you actually do that, then, you know, you get to a level of mastery over the lesson. You can move on to the next one. The lessons are at each level of awareness that you get to, the lesson will repeat itself, but the level of awareness will be much richer. So for example, humility at level one as an entrepreneur is a lesson. But then humility when you have you know a $100 million company is another level of learning and awareness that you have to get to. You don't just learn humility once and then never have to learn it again. You have to learn humility at each level of awareness and each level of accomplishment that you get to. Mm. When you're scaling those levels, how do you avoid temptation or 
new levels, new devils type of thing. How do you avoid that to not fall back down? Well, every every level comes with a series of temptations. Temptations are invitations you know, to the lower self. Temptations are distractions. So like the invitation to the lower self, for example, might be there's conflict on my team. I just want to, you know, get pissed off about it and tell everybody off in an email. Right. And I have the invitation. I'm going to write an email setting these people straight. My higher self goes, that's not going to, that's just going to make matters worse. And one of my principles is never make matters worse. And so I'm like, so everything is an opportunity to meet your lower self and your higher self. And when you meet your lower self, and I, I get tempted all the time. And sometimes I, entertain them in thinking, which is something that I repent for. And then sometimes I entertain them in action, and which is something I have to repent for. But every time you meet your lower self, you just got to go, oh, I got to meet my lower self today. That's amazing. And that's the basis for learning your higher self. And every time you meet your higher self, it's like, oh, I got to meet my higher self today. That's amazing. And every step of the way, you're just meeting the two dualities that you have within you. And temptation is one of the best compasses for that. What do you instill in your daily life to help you choose the action your higher self would take? I mean, things happen like this right in life i mean i live in new york things happen like this over here i'm just curious like is there something that you instill so in the moment you make the right decision is there something i still in the moment the answer is i do a lot of contemplation so that's number one i i have a principle called replay the tape it's like similar to being an athlete you got to watch the tape Mm -hmm. and if you want to become a professional athlete you got to watch tape. You can't be a pro athlete without watching tape. And as a professional entrepreneur, professional thought leader, wisdom holder, you got to watch the tape. And so every morning I contemplate on the interactions that I need to let go of, the interactions that I, you know, that were positive. But there's some interactions, you know, I, I didn't perform at my highest self. I got to evaluate that and play the tape and, and get better from it. So contemplation is something that I have built into my daily operation. And I do it for a couple of hours every morning because like game time, is the 10, 12 hours a day, but you've got to play the tape. You can't just be in the game all day long, expect to get better if you're not playing the tape, replaying the tape. So that'd be number one. I use meditation and prayer and sauna and physical fitness and dance and music and boxing and nature and hikes and all of that stuff. I use those as sources of inspiration and use them as tools to cultivate an energy set that is efficient and high performing. I do that nonstop so that way I can become more efficient and higher performing each and every single day. But all of those are just tools to increase my performance and efficiency. And and the most important though is I want to joyfully perform with efficiency, not perform with efficiency and be, you know, anger and be uh, obsessed. And I see a lot of these gurus that are like, I work so hard. You know, and when I hear that, it's like, who works harder, me or you? And they'll argue. I saw one, I won't name names. Like I work 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And the guy's like, I work more and you can't work as hard as me. And they're arguing about this crap. And I'm just like, what does that do to your children? Mm. Like, what are you really here for? If like, if you're so driven to make money so that way you can prove how hard you work, it's not worth it. You know, you, you can get a lot done and be grounded and be happy and be joyful. You don't have to sacrifice to be successful. You, if you treat everything you do as sacred, you know, it doesn't feel like work at all. And you get a lot of time to play and have fun and enjoy life. Absolutely. Ryan, I only have you for a couple more minutes. I'm going to try and squeeze one last question out of you. But before doing that, I'm going to let everyone know socials, websites, all of that good stuff in the show notes of this episode. I'll give more details to all of that great stuff. But I'm curious to learn. You live to whatever year you want to live to. You accomplish all you want to accomplish. You have the daughter. You become a rock star hip hop dancer. Like you're doing it all, right? Like whatever you want to do, you accomplish. But 
you can only be remembered for one piece of advice. Meaning, I think Ryan, this is the piece of advice that comes to mind. It's on the tombstone type of thing. I'm curious, what is that piece of advice? My relationship with God. Like I, okay. you know, if they were to say, I already wrote what my tombstone says. It says, "He who loved God the most." He who loved God the most. I love that. Yeah. I, I actually have In God I Trust tattooed across my chest. If wow. I'll show you. Yeah, I did that when I was 17. I don't think I meant it back then. It was more so playing basketball on a team full of incredible athletes that all had tattoos and I wanted to get one. But Well, um, I found that your soul might have known the importance of that. And as you elevate, you'll come to a deeper understanding of what your soul was trying to put on that chest. That's beautiful, by the way. Now, I, I will, you know, I'll add that my love of God allows me to love my, ch- my children. My love of God allows me to love the planet my team relationship. So it's not that I love God and don't love everybody else. By loving God, I love everybody else as my brother and sister, regardless of their religion, regardless of their ethnicity, their race. It's like, I love everybody as a result of my love of God. Yeah, that's beautiful. Ryan, I mean, I could talk to you all day. Pressing gratitude for this. This was absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for joining us again. Websites, socials, all of that is in the show notes, but thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. God bless you, brother. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 273 of the Decoding Success podcast right here with your friend Ryan Blair and Matt Labrie. On that note, you can check Ryan out in the show notes of this episode. As always, socials, websites, special projects, books, all of that good stuff, all of what Ryan has to offer is in the show notes of this particular episode. Furthermore, I didn't mention this just yet. But if you are still hearing my voice come through your speakers, your headphones, your phone, however you're listening to this, there is a reason for that. You needed something within this episode, and on top of it, I guarantee you there's people in your life that need it. So on that note, I'm asking you and urging you to be the beacon of light for them by sharing this episode. I will state this. If you listened to a few episodes ago, we did mention that we had the largest month in podcast history. That is because of you all that are sharing these episodes. So again, I want to say thank you and share the importance of sharing this information with the people in your life. The show's for free. If there was a fee, it would be to share it. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.